Tambunani Dumalan, good evening and welcome to episode 224 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamadungwa Kumalo. Friday edition of the Private Property Podcast. And if you're joining us for the first time, well, welcome to it. This is, of course, your daily dose of all things relating to property coming to your screens every single weekday at 7 p.m. You've certainly missed out on quite a lot of great episodes, so do make sure that you go to our Facebook or our YouTube page to catch up on some of the great episodes that we have already aired. And all our regular viewers across our social media platforms, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us this evening and, of course, honoring our weekly appointment, our daily weekday appointment here on the Private Property Podcast, where every single weekday at 7 p.m., we tackle a hot property topic that helps us best navigate our property journey. Now, one of the other things that we absolutely love sharing with you here on Private Property is, of course, uh, and certainly one, one of the things I like sharing with you is, of course, the other shows that you can catch across our social media platforms. I am talking about the Home Shoppers Show that you can catch later on this evening at 8 p.m. with Chad that comes to your screens every Monday and Fridays at 8 p.m. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Mbalinoko brings you the farming podcast. So for all of you at home who are considering going into agriculture, then tune into the show. Umbali, as an award-winning farmer herself, will be interviewing, or certainly interviews every evening, uh, experts within the agricultural space who help you better understand the agricultural sector and some of the opportunities that you can take advantage of. There. And on Wednesday, Esti Klaassen has a conversation with people who have walked that first-time home buying journey on the first-time home buyers show. And if you at home have a great story around your first home buying journey, uh, certainly do reach out to us so that Esti and the team could potentially have you on the show. Now, those are some of the great programs that you can look forward to here across our social media platforms. So do keep engaging us. And if you only follow us on one platform, well, follow us on all of them because we absolutely love hearing from you. Now, of course, you can also go to our website on www.privateproperty where you can get, uh, you know, where you'll be able to see not just great properties and even explore our advice section, but you'll also be able to see the weekly competition we are currently running now we're currently in the ninth week of our Sherlock Holmes competition where every single Monday we point we share a riddle across our social media pages and we want you to crack the riddle at home if you think you know where the riddle leads you well enter the competition on our website and you can stand a chance of walking away with a 5,000 rand voucher every single Friday right here on the Private Property Podcast with myself, Uzamadunwa Kumalo. So that's something that you can look forward to later on in the evening as we announce who the lucky winner is going to be of that 5,000 Rand voucher. Now, because we love making the property circle and the winner circle bigger, we also have the 500 Rand spot prize that you can win 500 Rand in cash every Wednesday and Thursday just by entering the Sherlock Holmes hunt. So do make sure that you enter as many times as you would like in order for you to be able to win. Well, this evening, I'm joined by two gentlemen uh, on the show, and we're going to be tackling something that, and I've said this countless times on the show, I, I typically, you know, struggled with it in the early days of my property investment journey. It was one of those things that I just simply did not prioritize. 
but we want to make sure that you at home are able to prioritize it, you know, make the right decisions very early on in your journey, as opposed to have it catch up with you uh, later on in your investment journey. And we're looking at the tax side of things and understanding tax structuring in property investing. I'm joined this evening by Ushili uh, Boy Motiba, who's a co-founder at Intergen, as well as Bruno Samal, who's a founding attorney at Bruno Samal Attorneys. Gentlemen, good evening, and thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Zama. Good evening, Zama. Thanks for having us. You know, so I think a, a great starting point for our conversation, I was saying to you, you know, off air, is that here we are, we're talking about tax and we're talking about structuring our property portfolio. And of course, we have two guests, uh, you know, a, a chartered accountant as well as an attorney. So the immediate thought becomes, why would you, why would we have, you know, an attorney as well as a chartered accountant when it comes to better understanding, structuring uh, our property portfolios in a way that is, of course, tax Efficient. And and I think with Chili Boy, it's probably a, a bit of a people can almost automatically assume why you would need an accountant. So we'll go with him second. I, I want to start with you, Bruno, because I'm sure people are thinking, why would you need an attorney for this conversation? Surely this is a conversation you should just be having with the accountant. You know, he'll help us with how we should be structuring, you know, the finances. These are the tax implications. So why is an attorney in a conversation when it comes to, you know, understanding text? structuring uh, in our property investments? Sure. <laughs> That's a good question. And I think that assumption, that assumption is quite common. Mm. Um, what, what we typically find or what I, uh, what I believe, genuinely believe, is that an attorney and an accountant, but specifically not just an, a, a general accountant, uh, an accountant that specializes in tax, so a tax practitioner, an attorney that understands tax law. Uh, it's a match made in heaven. Um, and I'm actually shocked that that this type of partnership hasn't arisen uh, many, many times before. Um, so the thing with an attorney that has an understanding of commercial law, an attorney that has an understanding of tax law, um, it plays into the fact that when it comes to actually structuring these vehicles, uh, there's a lot of legal, uh, there's a lot of legal uh, backing to it. So, for example, if a person wants to prepare a trust, there's a lot of information that needs to go into the trust deed, the specific drafting of the trust, getting it registered. Um, with the same thing with companies and uh, like corporate services, uh, that that typically tends to be something that lawyers focus a lot on because of our very deep understanding of the Companies Act and the way that companies need to function and their interaction with tax. And there's always something to it because, I mean, from, and I always make this joke, but uh, in my mind, an accountant is a lawyer uh, lawyer with numbers. Um, And I think that's uh, because the thing is they study the law, they understand it. And I think together with our understanding of certain functions, their understanding of how the numbers work and how the tax works, um, it's, you put it together and you find um, and you find that you can actually help clients, uh, you know, set up the investment structures really, really well. Mm-hmm. You know, so, Bruno, I think one of the great things, uh, because we've covered you know, the importance of w- understanding and identifying the different vehicles that you want to use uh, for your property investments and obviously the implications of using whichever instrument, uh, I mean, whichever vehicle you opt for. And, and you know, Shilibor, I want to bring you in on this one because I think one mm. of the things that oftentimes so many property investors, especially those who are starting off, and we even spoke about this yesterday, is in the early years of our property investment journey, we typically tend to buy a lot of the properties in our individual capacity. Um, and sometimes it was it's because, you know, that's all you knew essentially didn't know that you could buy a property 
you know, under under a PTY or another entity. And, and then, of course, you reach that uh, affordability ceiling. And only then do you start getting interested in, okay, how can I actually purchase more properties? And, you know, you start learning about using various legal entities to, to structure your portfolio. So when you then work with... Uh, with property investors who are, I'll say in the earlier days, so these are now people who've, let's say, bought some in their personal uh, capacity, and they are almost looking to get on the best, I want to say best path uh, in terms of now structuring their portfolio in a way that is going to have not just be tax efficient, but also, of course, um, allow them opportunity for it to grow. How can people in those situations sort of where should they start when it comes to uh, slowly getting on the right path, especially when, uh, of course, they'll be working with somebody uh, from, a, from an accounting perspective or, as, as Bruno pointed out, somebody who understands taxes? Because I know a lot of us don't understand you know, taxes and the tax implications. You now find yourself having three or four properties and you know, collecting all kinds of rental and, and not realizing how you're actually not very tax efficient. So if you're in that position at home and you're now trying to find different ways to get into the right path in terms of structuring your portfolio well, where should you start? Like, how do you actually get ready? What should you prepare in order for you to then be able to take the next step? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Sama. I, I think I need to firstly attest to what Bruno just said earlier um, with how the accountant and the attorneys come together. He mentioned the issue of framework and framework touching also on the issue that you are raising. What is the best investment vehicle to actually uh, to invest in? And I think that's, I always say that's a loaded question because it's sort of influenced by various variables. Uh, Zama's situations will differ to Shiliboy's situations. So I think fundamentally it will be to get Shiliboy and Bruno in the, in the room and say, guys, here I am. This is my situation. I've got three properties. My kids, I've got so many dependents. I'm looking after my parents. I've got younger ch- children that I'm paying school fees. Also, I need to build something to retain the future, whether it's a retirement or legacy for that matter. So those are some of the variables that we'll typically encounter, right? And then within that, this is where a desired framework can potentially come out of that conversation. And then that, it has that legal component. And I think I'm busy answering that question, the relevancy of attorney. Because when you're defining that framework, it's actually where the legal heads comes in and and drafting that type of vehicle that might be suitable for that particular person. And then within that, I need to question to say, but with this framework for this particular person X, these are potential tax implications given their variables, where they are, the dependence, their strategy. Is it a short-term approach or is it a long-term approach? Is it something that they want to keep reinvesting or they just want to as they get the money distributed? So those are some of the principles we try to answer before we define and come up with a final framework for that particular person. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You know, Shelly Boy, one of the things I, I wish I knew early on in my journey is, is probably this conversation that we're having. And, and, I, I, and I often always confess to, to the viewers at home some of the mistakes that I've made along the journey. Because unfortunately, some of the things you kind of learn as you go. Uh, and when you started off, there are obviously certain things that you didn't know, especially when, when it comes to you know, structuring your portfolio. And when you're clear that you are, in fact, building a portfolio, because with some people, you're going to buy your primary residence and maybe just only have one property and you know, one additional property. And you have no uh, you know, ambition of, adding many, many properties and leveraging off of them. Uh, and so as, as you so rightfully point out, Julie Boy, that it isn't a, a one-size-fits-all. It's important to understand every person's individual needs and individual goals in order to sort of best come up with a plan of how they can then uh, structure their portfolio so that they meet, mm. so that they're able to meet their goals. Now, Bruno, I, I want to come then to you because when we look at, you know, structuring, of course, there's also the the the, the legal component because let's say somebody, for example, decides that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll use a combination of, you know, a trust as well as a PTY. I think when we, when we almost try to make a decision of structuring, because I think this is one of those, um, you know, decisions that, sometimes people trip themselves over um, and oftentimes because they either just don't know that much about it or they've heard somebody else explaining how they've structured their portfolio and think, look, that sounds fancy. Maybe that's yeah. what I should be doing. Wanting to set up a trust, which is actually quite costly. Yeah, yeah. When you're at the beginning end, you know, uh, as opposed to you've now been at it for five, maybe 10 years and all these kinds of options yeah. are available for you. When you're still in the beginning, you know, what are the basics should you get right in terms of uh, you know how you're going to structure your portfolio from a legal perspective in a way that's going to you know very nicely make it tax efficient and we'll speak to Shilu Boy you know shortly in how we can mm. make sure that we remain tax efficient but from a just a legal structuring perspective in the early days what should we rather concentrate on and and try to get right instead of thinking of having a shell company and then another trust mm, and mm, then this and that. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so before we even get to the investment structure and investment vehicles, the one thing um, that we sometimes find hampers our ability to help clients immediately is the marital regime. Um, so it's just, it, it, it's more like a warning sign or a little red flag that I like throwing out there. Um, things like, uh, so, so one of the problems arises from being married in community of property, because in community of property, the general rule is you create this joint estate and, you know, both the spouses don't have the individual estate. And the problem with this is that this entire estate is exposed to the outside world. And that's how in community of property works. Um, this joint estate, if any creditors of the wife, for example, uh, want to collect, they can go after all the assets that the husband has accrued or vice versa. Whereas married out of community of property creates a separation of estates. And yes, you can have accrual. So, I mean, that's a topic all on its own, but this accrual creates a level of fairness between the parties. So you can still have that. So you can replicate that fairness, but get that ANC signed because what people don't realize is, yes, you get married for love or for whatever the reason is, but um, not signing an ANC doesn't prove 
doesn't prove that you guys love each other. All it does is open the door for the creditors to swoop in and possibly make your life harder. And this now starts playing into the business and entrepreneur side of things. An entrepreneur, by the very nature, take risks, right? And no one's saying be reckless, but the problem is things do happen. And if you're stuck in a marriage in community of property, when things happen, guess what? It's going to happen out to both of you. Um, whereas if you're married out of community of property, you hedge that risk a little bit better or diversify it so that if something happens to you, your wife can still stand on her own. Um, so that's just the first thing I want to mention out there. It's it's the marital regime is normally one of the, the walls that we face. Uh, but, aside, uh, but there are ways of fixing it. But again, uh, it's a story for another day. Um, so from a legal perspective, primary focus, um, aside from like the tax law that that shitty boy deals with and that uh, we help around with, you want to be able to get into a structure because moving things later becomes expensive. So we all know that moving a prop, moving a property from your personal name into whatever company, a trust carries certain implications. So yes, there's tax implications like capital gains tax, but there's transfer duty, for example. So your conveyances are now going to have to jump in there, uh, do a transfer of a property, and there's fees that need to be paid. Sure, there's very creative ways that Shilly Boy and myself have come, have, have discovered or not created, but have utilized to, to do these transfers. But at the end of the day, it's not free. Let's, let's just be frank. It's not free. You're either paying us to try and assist you. You're either paying SARS. You're paying a conveyances, but somebody's getting paid at some point or another. So doing it properly from the beginning is something that you'd want to consider. And to do this, it's really about having some kind of indication. You don't have to have a set five-year goal, but just know where you're going with this. Like, oh, do you intend to invest? Are you going to buy at least two properties? Because if you're looking along those lines, you need to start answering those questions. Well, are you going to need to leverage? Because having it in your personal names, you're going to hit that ceiling with the bank. Do you have asset protection? And that's the big legal one that, that we address, the asset protection. Because what they need to understand is, for example, buying it in a company because the trust is too expensive. It, it, that's not, it's not one or the other. These aren't options where you get to choose one. A trust does not, a, a company does not offer asset protection to the full range that a trust does because there's one component missing. And that's the fact that you are still the shareholder. Those shares are still assets in your estate, which means those shares aren't safe. So your business is exposed if something happens to you. If you have a car accident, if you have medical bills, if you're in your job, you get sued for some reason or another. If, um, if, for example, you get a divorce and all of a sudden now there's claims between the spouses. All of these things get exposed because the shares are now assets in the estate. Shirley Boy will touch on later things like estate duty when um, um, shares are in your estate. All these things play a part. So if you don't get it right from the beginning, you're going to need to move it later. And the reason for getting it right from the beginning is in the long term, you're going to save a lot of money. Um, especially if you're going to buy two or three properties and you're going to start building a portfolio. Mm. 
you know, I'm in conversation this evening with Bruno Samal, who's the founding attorney at Bruno Samal Attorneys, as well as Shuliboy Mutiba, who's a co-founder at Interchain. And we are looking at understanding tax structuring in the property investing. We're taking your questions and comments at home. I can already foresee, gentlemen, that I'm going to have you back uh, for this one as we are not going to get through what we want to talk about. Uh, and, and we're already getting really good questions that I want us to, to deal with. The, the first question, I'm going to pose to you, Shilu Boy. It's coming from Facebook, Jessica Ronasen, rather, asking, what questions about tax should a first-time owner ask when buying a property? That's a good one. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good question. I, I, th- I think one, one of the things that I always ask property investor is, what's your tax rate, current mar- marginal tax rate, right? And because with that, I'm able to compare the possible three vehicles that exist when, it, when that can be used by a property investor. I'll give an example. I had a scenario recently where someone is a property investor. They want to do a flip. These days, I'm doing a flip. I'm doing a flip. Now, that individual was not any, any form of income in their own personal capacity. Don't ask me how are they going to finance the that's their strategy. So now that individual you can already tell that that person is at the lower end of what? Of tax brackets because they are not any, any form of income. Then when you compare that with, with a trust sitting at 45%, forget the tax hacks that we can apply. And then you compare that with 28%, potential 27% from next year of a company, right? Already you can tell ideally for that particular person, you will rather flip in a what? In an individual capacity. That's a short-term tax strategy. However, as Bruno uh, uh, said earlier, when you're going to start thinking of a long-term plan, you start worrying about wealth taxes like an estate duties and potential capital gain because the wealth now is sitting in your personal capacity. This is where some of the tricks can be utilized to then move that wealth in your personal capacity in a more tax-efficient structure. But then just to summarize the question, it also boils back to what is the situation and what are the circumstances of that particular property investor? Mm-hmm. However, you, your mindset needs to say, what are my short-term tax uh, implications? That will typically be, if you are in the investment, which is rental and in multi-led type of uh, property investment, then you need to be concerned yourself with an income tax. That's your short-term income tax uh, implications. So now that question is, are you any any form of income? Are you already higher than the company tax rate? Then those are some of the things that we're going to compare. So at the end of the day, it boils back to what are the tax rates for that particular person? Mm. We're actually getting quite a number of questions uh, relating to tax. I can already see that many people uh, don't quite understand tax. I, I always you know, say to my viewers at home that I, I'm very bad with when it comes to tax issues. 
uh, and often work with an actual professional who understands what they're doing um, when it comes to all things relating to, to tax. This is one of those things you do not want to DIY. I think of all the things in your property journey and investment journey that you think, listen, I'm just going to watch a few YouTube clips and DIY this. This is one of the things that you definitely do not want to do that. Work with a professional. Uh, you know, Continue watching YouTube clips just so you, you know what you're talking about. But you definitely want somebody to, to be doing the, the majority of the legwork. Uh, we've got a question here coming from Lerato Liu asking, how does investment properties reduce taxes? I love this question because oftentimes, you know, people talk about the, the we'll say the tax incentive of, um, you know, having multiple um, rental properties. And and perhaps I'll actually pose that one to you, uh, Boy. How how does investment properties, you know, effectively reduce somebody's taxes? Okay, that's. I'm, I'm, I would have had a follow-up question if we're having opportunity to ask because it's not clear. But then, uh, what you're referring to, probably it's there was a section called, unfortunately, after the budget. Yeah. Sorry. You referring to the section thirteen six? No, no, 136, what 136 it says is basically relating to deduction that you get having bought so-called unused new residential units. That actually, that deduction that you're going to get is the capital allowance over a number of years. It's about 5% depending on the value of the property investment that you have done. If you get what you call low-cost residential units, then you get additional 5%. So that's the, that doesn't really affect your personal income, if, if I got the question correctly. So that deals with reducing and uh, being allowed capital deduction towards the rental income that you're going to generate, having bought those units. And the basic practical uh, requirements that you need to be owning those five units, and then you're going to qualify for such 13 sex. So the one it was also available was... Okay. Sorry? I'm saying, I think the, you're referring to the 12th J. I think you... Yes. 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 Yeah. That, that it directly relates to reducing your personal income because the investment is that if you invest in qualifying VCC, right, and you put your money, then you can get that potential reduction, which is Section 12J. Unfortunately, the sunset clause is coming to an end in June after the budget speech announced. So that might not be some, unless you want to quickly invest right now between now and June, then you can still benefit. But then that is something that is no longer applicable. But I guess dating sex is still there. Urban zoning is still there. So there are those other in uh, deduction that, but are only applicable to the capital allowance that you put in as you invest in those type of uh, uh, property investment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got another question. Many tax questions. I think we, we almost need a you know a tax masterclass uh, altogether because many of us clearly have a lot of tax issues that we want answered. Uh, we've got a question here uh, coming from Umamohato Lerotoli saying, "What tax implications should a married couple acquiring their second property look out for?" Bruno, I'll pose that one to you because I loved how you 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 know you ask a lawyer about structuring, um, and in, instead of them saying this is how you should first legally think about it, they're like, "Listen, first 
let's assess how you are married, what's your marital status, <laughs> because that in itself could actually be a threat to your wealth creation. So getting that right first is such a crucial step, of course, uh, to wealth creation. So what can a couple uh, marry? I already know at the top of your head, you're probably going to want to you know, find out whether they're married in community of property or not. But I think let's try and answer it almost as broadly as possible and give, you know, possible scenario for both. And Bruno, can you just quickly unmute yourself there? there. Apologies. Uh, apologies. Um, so with a married couple uh, looking to buy the second property, there's a couple of things that they'd be looking at. But not necessarily all that different from a normal, um, like a normal team or a normal partnership that goes into buying properties. Uh, remember the one benefit about buying, uh, buying residential property as a married couple typically is the fact that you're going to be residing on the property. And by residing on the property, if it's in your personal name and it's for that particular use, uh, there's a great exemption of about 2 million rand on capital gains uh, that uh, you would receive if you, ever sell, uh, if you ever sell that property. So basically up to that amount of 2 million rand, you wouldn't have to worry about any capital gains. So that's, that's typically why you actually find that a lot of people will be buying buying properties in their personal name, especially if they're going to live in them. Uh, that's not necessarily always a good strategy um, because obviously with that tax, a tax benefit you get, you also get the downside of the asset protection being a problem um, because now it's in your personal name. So it means it's completely exposed. And if the property needs to be sold for the collection of any debt, it's, it can just be sold. Um, and obviously to then move it at a later stage, uh, for instance, if you decide to move out of this property and rent it out, and you want to move it into your investment structure, there's obviously costs associated with that. So it comes with a bit of planning and thinking, how long would you want to stay on this property and what's your long-term intention uh, you know, behind this? And also capital appreciation. Does one anticipate that this property is going to increase in value? Now, when you start looking at the second properties, right, one's going to assume that, this, uh, that, that you're buying investment properties, that, that the idea is to try to get some form of rental income. Um, sure, it could be your residential property and you're buying now a new one and replacing the old one, but then the same typical rules from the first one would apply. And so if you're looking for your second property and it's an investment property, like I mentioned before, it's very similar to how a partner, two people, two normal people that aren't married would be looking at buying properties. Um, now, depending on how you're married, would obviously dictate how the relationship between the two of you is. And that's sometimes where the concern is, because if there's a divorce now, what happens to this property? How is it dealt with? At least when partners or business people, so if Shilly Boy and myself go out and we go buy a property, typically from the beginning, we've got plans. We understand what the roadmap is for this property. We've set it up in such a way that we know that we're going to sell. Uh, this is how we're going to sell or we're not going to sell. We're going to hang on to it. So even if me and him stop getting along, we understand what the long-term solution for this is. So obviously with married couples, that's a big and that's a big problem that you typically tend to experience. Now, the other thing also that comes into play, and again, uh, Shilly Boy will probably touch on this in a lot more detail, is the fact that now you're going to buy the second property. If you put it in your personal name, financing, uh, financing issues is going to be a problem. You're going to hit your ceiling. From a tax perspective, now you're putting a property into your name and it's going to be an asset in your estate, which is going to be taken into account when you pass away. And there's going to be a component of, of, of tax that's going to be applicable to it. Another thing, and this is something people don't realize, 
if if a couple gets divorced and there's not a lot of money in the estate and money is owed from one person to the other what you often find is that these assets are going to be sold so that they can pay off these claims, right? Uh, especially within community of property, because then all the claims need to be paid off when there's a divorce. The nice thing about using, for example, a trust where uh, the property sits safely away from everyone and it sits in a trust, the only vehicle in South Africa that truly offers that level of asset protection. The nice thing is the trust continues in perpetuity. And since there's no rights that are vested in anyone, those rights are completely separate. So you've basically taken everything, you've separated it from yourself. So if there's a divorce or there's an issue, anything like that, or anyone passes away, you don't need to worry about things like estate duty. You don't need to worry about um, issues in the divorce because this property stays, it stays safe there and the trustees will continue to administer this property the way that it is supposed to be administered. Um, so I would definitely suggest that if people are looking at buying their second property, whatever it might be, uh, the tax implications are the same with everyone. Start getting your investment structure in place first uh, so that you can save on everything moving forward. Mm -hmm. We are taking more of your questions and comments at home. And I know quite a few are coming in. We're probably not going to be able to get through uh, all of them. I can already promise we're going to invite bro both Chili Boy and uh, Bruno back again because we are also not going to be able to get through some of what I know we wanted to get through. Got a great, great question coming from Facebook, uh, Jason DeYoung. And I'm going to pose this one to you, Chili Boy, asking, when one starts with a property portfolio as a beginner, after how many properties or income amount does a person need to uh, need to declare or or pay? I like this question. I absolutely <laughs> love this question. <laughs> uh, look, uh, yeah, um, it's 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 a yeah. I know most people don't want to pay tax, but I think from being a good citizen, uh, you want to pay tax. Uh, <laughs> why <are you> laugh? <laughs> We're not paying because we're being good citizens. We're paying because we'll probably get arrested if we don't. No, no, no. I mean, if, 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 and that's why, of course, we, you know, both Bruno and yourself would advise clients on on creative ways to obviously, you know, structure your portfolio. Uh, but as you say, I think nobody wants to pay taxes and nobody's doing it because it's coming from the goodness of their heart. Um, but I think, I think one of the great things with this question is it also demystifies a notion that I know a lot of people have that there's a point at which, especially in your property investment journey, uh, if let's say you have your first rental, uh, first investment property, then you don't need to pay tax with that first one. And that I think we actually need to demystify. That's why I actually really think this is such a good question because sometimes we think maybe you must first get to seven properties, uh, you know, seven rental properties and only at that point uh, do you actually start paying tax. I, I thought I'll give an ethics lecture before I answer that question, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not allowed tonight. <laughs> I think to, to answer the question, um, as long as you earn income, you, you will be taxed. Right. And the moment you earn income, you have to pay tax. So obviously, then there are certain tax deductions that that you need to take advantage of that you are allowed in title based on income tax and other relevant tax acts. Right. So and you will you will find typically as long as you've got that first investment property, then you will obviously and it's generating that uh, particular income. Please pay tax. 
you are obligated. I'm not going to say good citizen. You are obligated to, to actually pay tax. But however, I think also needs to highlight that there are certain deductions. Don't be disappointed. There are certain deductions that you are allowed. That's, that's things like levies, things like uh, repairs and maintenance that you can take at, advantage of, things like insurance for that particular house. You can the interest uh, on the bond as well, yeah, and and of course, and the interest expense component, not the whole repayment. And at the beginning, you may find that you are still paying the interest component, not the capital portion. That it can actually save you. So you may find that you are actually even making twenty thousand, but then you are uh, on a monthly basis. But then the net effect is actually on sitting on negative. You don't have have to be paying tax, so you shouldn't be worried. And I think with that question. There's also an issue that people are not aware of, that as long as your rental income is actually above 30,000, uh, 30, you are what we call a professional taxpayer now. So your submissions of tax returns are not similar that like a normal ink salary earner where you have to submit them on a, once a year. So you need to do the professional tax submissions every six months uh, as per like any other Tax, uh, what you call taxpayer, like companies and, and the trust that become what you call professional taxpayer. So I think that's one thing that people also need to be aware. But then also the myth must go, as long as you're, an, you're earning an income, you have to pay tax. Mm. Gentlemen, I know that we've run out of time and we still had quite a bit that we wanted to, to get through, uh, but we're not going to unfortunately finish this. So I've, I've already promised the viewers at home that we're going to uh, continue this conversation. But before I let you go, I think the one question that I want to, to, to have be the last question to both of you is, you know, some of the common mistakes that you see uh, property investors making when it comes to tax and structuring their property portfolio that we must almost absolutely avoid. So if there's one takeaway from our viewers at home, this is a this is the mistake you want to try and avoid as much as possible. Uh, so Bruno, I'll start with you. What's the mistake that you sometimes tend to see that we should absolutely try to avoid by all means? Um, so so uh, like Shilibu mentioned, there's a lot of good tax hacks and not making use of them could be very uh, detrimental. But the biggest mistake that I tend to find is, um, is from the estate planning component of it. So we, we did a couple of calculations the other day to try to figure out what worst case scenario would be in a couple of instances. And we started finding that the trend was between 30 and 40%. Some people even get to the 50%, but that's really extreme. So about 30 to 40% of your estate can completely disappear when you pass away, simply in taxes and costs, right? Because everything is based on value. And this is a real calculation that we've done. We've gone through the figures up and down, left and right. Uh, we get to the 32.88% and sometimes 34, sometimes 36. The reality is a state duty is sitting at about uh, 20%. So we did the calculation on the average of a 10 million rand estate, which for a property investor isn't unreasonable. It's a couple of properties. So you own five properties. It could very easily be around the 10 million rand estate at some point or another. Uh, you're looking at 20% of estate duty. You're looking at 4%, for example, being paid as the executor's fees to the master's office. So it's not even just SARS that gets their hands on the money. It's the master's office. It's a, t uh, sorry, executors. Um, then, it, you know, there's transfer costs, moving things 
out of their state sometimes um, to certain costs are levied. And that's not even to mention things like capital gains um, at that point when you pass away in a capital gain calculation. But I mean, their state duty one is massive. And estate duty, so capital gains, for example, on death you can av- uh, on death you could avoid estate duty on death you can avoid because if it's sitting in the trust, it's safe. The only thing that happens in that trust when you pass away, and it's a sad thing to say, but the reality is, when that trust exists and you pass away, they scratch your name off the letter of authority and they put somebody else's name on, and that's and that's it, and that's the implication of it. So I think it's just something to think about. You can save up to thirty to forty percent of your estate and give it to your children, like pass it down. Mm-mm-mm. And Shilaboy, on your end, you know, what's the mistake that we should uh, try and avoid by all means when it comes to tax and structuring our property portfolios? Look, I think it boils back to a question of what causes people to lose wealth and, and, and taxes being one of them. And when you try to, to find out why are the people also losing wealth through taxes, it fundamentally has to do with record keeping. I'll give example. You know, when you're going to be using things like structures, a record keeping is fundamentally important because if you don't have any record of what happened, should any form of audit for that matter happens, you might not, the onus is on you. The burden is on you to prove the legitimacy of those transactions. So if you don't have any form of record, you might find yourself having to pay a lot of taxes unnecessarily so, which can end up eating in your wealth. Again, for instance, I'll give example with the guys who who do multi-lead. You get a property, you create uh, additional two rooms, it costs you 300,000, right? That's what we call, property investor will call it an improvement. That improvement should actually be in that cost, should be added towards what you call base cost. You might find it not relevant, but five, 10 years later, you want to sell that particular property. Now that property has grown in value. Now you need to reduce what the capital gain, but because you don't have a proof of that 300,000, you can't claim it. Can you? Mm-hmm. Now that it means you'll pay unnecessarily tax because your record keep is not clear. You, you understand? And Bruno mentioned the issues that of tech hacks that are available. Tech hacks, if you don't have record a proper record keeping, mm-hmm. those will always be removed because you can't mm-hmm. prove, you can't tell what you have done, how legitimate, and what you have applied. So I think People need to be very strong when it comes to record keeping. Otherwise, then they'll be sorted. Mm. And, and, and that's a great place to leave it. I mean, the viewers at home know how I'm terrible with admins. So things like record keeping are things that uh, you know, we almost, I have to almost outsource it. Otherwise, it will not get done. Um, and of course, it is one of those things, as Shilipoy points out, is crucial, especially when you are, you know, in property to invest and to obviously create wealth and, and in it for the long haul, uh, because you want to make sure that you're making money instead of losing money. 
and you are you know being as tax efficient as possible along the journey now i know a lot of you sent us a lot of questions that we unfortunately could not get through i've already promised i'm going to invite both our guests back and we'll probably have a, a special episode on all things tax uh, i'm sure that a lot of us are going to benefit from having a, a better conversation around tax and i think when it comes to even structuring a lot of you at home wanting to have a better understanding of you know what what how do you tangibly sort of structure your portfolio and i think if the one big takeaway from this uh, conversation is is that there's no one size fits all so in as much as we can even have you know a one hour special on it it would still very much depend on how you uh, you own what your needs are and where, what your goals essentially are but we'll try to almost put it as a master class of sorts so that we are, have uh, all our bases covered and have a good sense of how we can uh, learn from you know both our guests when it comes to structuring and being as tax efficient as possible uh, shilly boy bruno thank you so much for joining us this evening we're definitely looking forward to continuing this conversation very soon thank you zama thank you zama for having us it's been great and that is Shiliboy Motiba as well as uh, Bruno Samal this evening on the Private Property Podcast. We're going to go for a quick break. And after this, uh, we're going to announce the lucky winner of our Sherlock Holmes Hunt. We're going to be back just after this. Welcome to the Home Shopper Show. My name is Chad Viveros and right now I'm outside the Embassy Towers in Santon. Now there are two apartments within the Embassy Towers that we're going to be showing you today. But even though I've spoken about what's behind me, let me speak about what's below me. This is a Mercedes-Benz A200 AMG and we've chosen it today because we feel like it reflects all of the amazing qualities that these two apartments have to offer. So if you think our choice of car for this apartment is correct, I want you to comment down below, tell me what you think, tell me what car you'll choose and also I'd love to know what car you guys think best reflects your own home. Welcome back to the Friday edition of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzama Dunga Kumalo. 
Well, I know that we're slowly, uh, you know, nearing 8 p.m. and Chad is going to be bringing you the Home Shoppers show. Uh, that was such a fascinating conversation and, I, and I'm going to keep my promise to learn to have both guests back to tackle structuring as well as uh, being as tax efficient as possible. I know that this is one of those issues that, uh, you know, is very difficult to sometimes even wrap your head around uh, because it isn't just about your gut feeling. It's their legal requirements and and you also want to make sure that of course you do not lose money along the way so we're definitely going to be picking up on this one uh, so that we can best uh, learn from how to structure our portfolios in an efficient way as much as possible. Well, it's that time of the evening where we announce the lucky winner of that 5,000 Rand voucher for our Sherlock Holmes hunt. And the lucky winner this evening is Umesi Masia. Uh, Messi Masia, congratulations. You're the lucky winner of the of this week's Sherlock's, Sherlock Holmes hunt. And I think one of the great things is, of course, you walk away with that 5,000 Rand voucher. And I'm sure that you're going to to absolutely enjoy spending it. And if you want to be like Messi Masia, all you have to do is to enter the Sherlock Holmes hunt on our website, www.privateproperty.co.za and make let us know where you think the riddle takes you. We are going to be announcing the new riddle for week 10 of the Sherlock Holmes hunt on Monday morning across our social media platforms. So if you haven't entered yet, then do go to our website and enter. Well, that's it from myself, Zamandungwa Kumalo, as we wrap up this week on the Private Property Podcast. We are back on your screens on Monday evening at 7 p.m. as usual. I do hope that you're going to have a good weekend, a safe weekend. Chad is coming up right just shortly with the Home Shoppers Show. Until next Monday, hoping you're staying home and staying safe. I'm an Olympic gold medalist and shareholder and marketing director of Aldevi Estate, which recently acquired Pro Valley Estate. I've been living in the beautiful Paul Frontrick Valley for the last five years.
We are situated right in the heart of the Cape Winelands. Security is our number one priority and it's something we work on every day. And this has earned us the reputation of being the safest estate in Africa. The lifestyle that this area has to offer truly is country living at its best. We're just five minutes away from the historic town of Paul. Paul really is an incredible area to explore, with little gems like the Spice Route and Fairview Farms. But the biggest attraction is the excellent schools. Franchuk, on the other hand, is a major international tourist destination and also known as the culinary capital of South Africa, with a diverse offering for every palate and occasion. Our recent acquisition of Pearl Valley is a major game changer for us. Our residents can now enjoy a wide range of amenities unmatched anywhere else in the world. There's the world-famous Jack Nicklaus Signature Golf Course, which is consistently ranked among the top golf courses in South Africa. And there are some beautiful properties on the course. Volder V really is the ideal family environment. We also cater to equestrian lovers with facilities on offer for every discipline, from the two Hurlingham Standard Polo Fields to our state-of-the-art equestrian centers and miles of trails. Our horses live in paradise too. Volder V has its own wine farm and cellars, producing award-winning wines, which every resident can be proud of. I've been blessed to travel the world but this is the place I come home to. I'm sure you can see why we call it the Valley of Life. And this is my neighborhood.